It is April, the birds are chirping, the sun is shining, we are here, it's spring, and this is the Hacker Noon Podcast. My name is Amy Tom, and today I am joined with Eric and Arun from Couchbase. So, Eric, could you please start off by telling us what you do at Couchbase? Sure. So, I am a developer advocate for Node.js at Couchbase. I've been working here for just over a year, started right before COVID. So that was an interesting way to start a new company. Typically, I've been doing developer advocacy for over two years, worked for a few different companies, landed at Couchbase, was really kind of used to traveling and going to conferences and everything. And then I started here and kind of all of that, you know, wasn't really possible during COVID. So it's been an interesting uh, time to be a developer advocate for sure. But yeah, I'm, I joined because we needed to be able to speak to JavaScript and Node.js developers and create a better developer experience for them here at Couchbase, which makes a lot of sense because we're a JSON database and it works really well with JavaScript. So yeah, that's where I, I am now. And before that, I was a software engineer, worked for Tesla and SolarCity, and then also did a lot of freelance for about 15 years and been programming since about 1999, 2000. Oh, okay. Wait, what is the main role of a developer advocate? Yeah. So, you know, when I first started as a developer advocate, a lot of the work that I did was about interfacing with the community, uh, speaking on behalf of the developers and kind of being a liaison between the developers and the software engineering teams that I worked with. Things do change a little bit whenever you're not able to get out and interface with the community as much. You know, virtual conferences and meetups are are great. They're a harder way to kind of embed yourself in the community. So with COVID over this last year, the developer advocacy role, I wouldn't say has changed, but we've had to switch things up a little bit, focus a little bit more internally on tools and creating better developer experience. But overall, yeah, I am... I am the person who goes out and interfaces with the community, tries to learn as much about what those developers need from whatever company I might be working with, in this case, Couchbase, and just trying to make a better, seamless developer experience for them, create new tools and and expand the ecosystem, and overall just be a voice for them to Couchbase. That's exciting. Okay, question for you then. What is your favorite online developer community? Ooh, that's a good one. I really like Twitter and dev.to. So dev.to is a place where developers can go and post articles about pretty much anything developer related. Twitter's an interesting place. I would say it's a love-hate relationship with Twitter. (laughs) You know, it's, it's a great place for us to get out there and, you know, gain followers and, 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 tell people about what we're doing. Obviously it can open up other opportunities for, for feedback and stuff like that, which is always really interesting. But again, it's a, it's a great developer platform. You know, I've published articles or recently published an article on Hacker Noon. So I'm starting to get into that community and let's see another, like I, I have a lot of them. So probably even, you know, back in the day, it used to be a lot of people would get on Stack Overflow, but Reddit, Reddit's great. It's an interesting place to go and be part of the community, but I, I would say that's up there at the top of my list, but dev.to is, is really one of my favorites. It really gives anyone the ability to publish uh, articles and I'm finding kind of the same kind of thing with Hacker Noon as well. You know, get out there, yes. publish your content, let people comment on it, give feedback. And these are really great for developers and also developer advocates. Perfect. 
Excellent. Thank you very much. Arun, could you please share with me what you do at Couchbase? Absolutely. And thank you, Amy. I'm Arun Vijayaragwan and I'm a product manager. I take care of uh, nine different SDKs and four plus connectors. Uh, it's still adding to my list. So I'm, I'm predominantly responsible for making strategic decisions and taking the products to the next level, you know, doing market research, analysis, you know, talking to different developers, talking to, you know, people like Eric, uh, who is from a developer advocacy background to see what are the pain points, what could add more value to take the product to the next level, talking to customers and different stakeholders, you know, stakeholders are unlimited in, in this, this kind of job. So prior to that, and the reason it comes in handy to be a product manager is because of my background. What I've been doing in the past is I was, I started my career in 1990s as, as a developer, grew up to architect, you know, was a manager and I've been into different roles, been into different shoes. And this product manager role is something that I took up alongside when Eric joined about a year ago. And that this role basically gave me a lot of opportunities to look from the other side. You know, I've been a consumer of product and now I'm kind of a person who is building products or giving products uh, a new direction, right? So so now that that kind of uh, covers me from a 360 degree when it comes to my profession. So it's it's really exciting to know like what, what it would take uh, for the developers and other community to benefit out of a product, right? So... That's that's pretty much it. Sorry, did you say how long you've been working there? Uh, with Couchbase, I've uh, been there about a year now. Uh, okay. But prior to that, I've been in this industry for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. Where are some other places that you worked? Where did you start? Oh, <laughs> so I <laughs> I did start. Uh, so uh, my, my career goes back. You know, I, I've worked for smaller companies, worked for energy background, energy platform-based companies, worked for uh, telecom industry, financial domain, right? So I started back in 1999 uh, for a very small startup company. We used to do VB, basic, COBOL, uh, you know, all the low-level programming languages, it's surprising that I call them low level now because technology has advanced so much, but have seen technology growing to a massive extent. And so the collective experience that I have along with what I'm doing today really is helping me shape up the, the product. Awesome. Okay. So I want to get into some database stuff. Eric, could you give a brief overview of what Couchbase actually is? Sure. And does? So. Couchbase is a document database. If you've worked with relational databases in the past, like Microsoft SQL Server or MySQL, those are relational databases. And in order to insert data into them, they are very rigid. You have to define all of your tables, columns, and fields with certain data types. And when you insert into them, you have to jump through some hoops, let's just say. With Couchbase, it is a document database. So we don't store data as tables and columns. We store them as JSON documents. And uh, for JavaScript developers, that's a big plus because they can work with JSON and JavaScript objects, basically full stack. And that is, it's great for JavaScript developers because we're already working with those types of objects in our applications. And when we get the data back from the database in a familiar format, there's not a lot of transformation that needs to happen. It's pretty seamless as well. You can just chuck information into that database as, as quickly as you, as you need to. Sometimes they call these transactional databases and 
if, if you think maybe for a company that does user profile, like stores user profiles, like LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a big customer of ours. And so if you have a LinkedIn account, your information is stored somewhere in a Couchbase database and it's just a big JSON object. But what sets Couchbase apart from some of the others is that we use Nickel. It is a query language that's based off of SQL. So if you're coming from a relational background, a lot of the concepts that you already know around querying data, when you start with Couchbase, you pretty much know 90% of how to work with our query language. However, there are some differences. In fact, that uh, you can nest documents inside of a Couchbase server, and you kind of can't do that with a, a relational database. So there, there are some little bit of differences in, mm -hmm. in the way that you would structure your queries based off of that. But other than that, if you know how to do a basic select star from whatever table and, you know, based off of this ID, that same kind of logic carries over to Couchbase and it makes it really easy to transition from relational database over to Couchbase. And one thing I would say there is a lot of people say, you know, in a document database, if you bring all of these concepts from relational database over, that's bad. And, and I don't really agree with that. I think that the only thing thing that's interesting about Nickel as a query language is that you're able to kind of bring some of the knowledge that you already have from querying over, but that doesn't dictate kind of how you work with the database or how you store data. There is a new kind of mindset that you have to get into when, when storing data. So hopefully that clears it up a little bit, but yeah, mm -hmm. we're a JSON, we're a JSON data store. Okay. Arun, I would love to hear some more about the differences between relational database and document database, but in a use case kind of scenario? So i give you an example. I came from an energy background, right? So we actually, the, a very good use case would be the one which I personally went through and I would like to share that. So one of the scenarios in an energy background is that you store customer information, you store customer payment information, you store customer billing information, right? And we uh, initially started off using a structured RDBMS kind of SQL database, right? So database is grew up really fast because we had to define everything within different tables and we had to maintain a lot of relationships and that quickly became a bottleneck. Why? Because as and when the customer base grows, as and when the market expands, you tend to create a similar snapshot of tables across the board. Say we went to Japan in, in our previous company, right? So we had to create a similar set of tables, the relationships for customers in Japan because they had different governance, they had different you know, mm -hmm. policies around, right? Uh, now, eventually, that was becoming a bottleneck. And we were given this, what do you say, a golden key. We were saying, hey, Go ahead and uh, change everything, whatever you want. And the best opportunity that we got was to change the database as well. And the decision we took was to move from a relational kind of database to a document database then, right? Mm -hmm. So the benefit you get out of Eric rightly explained, it's the, the first class citizen is, is a JSON document. And then you don't have this overhead of maintaining relations. Uh, you have objects, you have nested objects. So uh, you, you can have customer, you can have customer's products, you can have customer's orders, order details, product, everything as you can define within a single document. So you don't have this overhead of maintaining different relations. And then one of the other use case is 
hey, I'm grading invoices, I'm producing invoices, and right? So an invoice is essentially what? It's, it's a document, right? If you were not think about having something like a document database, which we didn't have in the past, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we never thought about a document database, right? Uh, everything was stored in, in a structured way. You got to, like in, in tables and to scoop up all of this data is basically a big performance hit, A. And then you also had this uh, problem of managing and uh, maintaining all of these different data and different relational tables. If you now fast forward and come to, you know, maybe five, six years or maybe 10 years uh, later in, in early 2010s, right? When document-based database started growing and showing up its presence, I think it's, it's also a big leap in, in actually, you know, helping with these use cases like generating invoices, you know, you, you call it an invoice, it's a document. Why not just store it in, in a document structure, right? Yeah. So it's... So, so it makes more sense. So database is trying to do this. It's trying to make more sense. I'm not saying that you, you have to strictly be document, right? You can have a hybrid. You can have relational uh, okay. where you need. You can have document base, right? Right. Would you say that a document database is harder to query as opposed to a relational one? Very good question, right? So the, the answer is depending on which uh, document database you're talking about. If you talk about Couchbase, uh, like Eric rightly mentioned, we have a very powerful nickel query which sits on top of you know Couchbase, which helps you basically query your JSON document, right? So it depends on what choice you make. Again, the question about am I choosing the right database it stands out because it has a lot of other powerful tools. One being nickel, it still lingers, it's still there. And Couchbase, there are there are others like search features, like the search feature is super powerful. You can basically get what you get from, say, Elasticsearch if you work from a Couchbase. So it's one shop. You buy Couchbase, you get everything. So why not Couchbase? So answering to your question, yes, you can think of it, hey, it is definitely hard. I'm coming from a SQL world. I have, re- I have only learned relationships, right? I know relations. I don't know. Uh, then how I'm going to query? Oh my God, it's going to be a, a, a very painful task. If you pick, if you choose Couchbase, all of your problems are solved in one go. <laughs> I, I can add something to that real quick. So two things. Uh, one, I'll start with the, the querying. So when I first started learning about relational databases, I learned about SQL. And it was the one of the easiest languages, if you want to call it a language, it's a query language, that I I had ever learned before. And it just made sense. It was plain English, right? Select, you know, this field, this field, and this field from this table where the ID is, you know, my personal ID or this hotel ID or something, right? Right. So that's very easy to remember in your head and understand how to create that query. When you come over to Couchbase, you don't have to forget that. You take, you bring all of that knowledge with you of how to use uh, SQL and you can apply it directly to Couchbase. So that's that's one thing I was going to say. You know, kind of already talked about that. But another thing too is that Arun was hitting on is you know what if your database is a, a travel database and it keeps track of hotels in the United States and and for a hotel in the, in the United States, let's say that you have four fields that you're tracking. All right, we're going to keep it simple, and then you expand into the EU, right, or or Asia or something like that. And all of a sudden, there are new fields that you have to track for this new country. Who knows why? 
maybe their phone numbers are different. Uh, again, I don't, I don't know why, but all of a sudden you have to track a few more fields. In a relational database, there's a few different ways of doing this, but the most simplest way is that you just add the extra fields that you need for Europe into that main hotel table or whatever it is. And now when you're storing documents for the United States, you have these extra fields that are just null or don't have any information and that these fields were created for this new territory that you're in. And now there's, there's ways to kind of uh, normalize that and kind of separate that out and say, you know, here are the extra things I need to know for each different country. In a document database, you can just structure the United States hotels one way and the European ones a different way and just literally just chuck them into the database. There is no schema upon writing to the database. You don't have to conform to a certain uh, shape in order to stick it into the database. However, when you read that information from the database using something like Nickel, our query language, you can reshape the information you're pulling out and give it to your API in a certain shape for United States and a certain shape for, you know, Europe or, or whatever. So that's very powerful. And that's what kind of what he's talking about. It's a flexible schema and an option, which we didn't have in the past when you using relational databases. Well, right. well said, Eric. Okay. Yeah. I would love to talk about how I, I've seen online that Couchbase Ottoman has been often compared to Mongoose DB, but I would love to talk about that. But first I feel like we need to take a step back and maybe talk about what an ODM actually is. Yeah, I, I can start there. I'll make one correction real quick. So Mongo is kind of, I wouldn't even really call them a competitor. That They are another document database out there. Mongoose is analogous to Ottoman. So Ottoman is an ODM for Couchbase and Mongoose is an ODM for Mongo. And now, yeah, so sorry. And then the question again was, what is an ODM? Yeah. So an object, ODM is an object data map mapper. And in relational databases, you have something called an ORM, an object relational map mapper. So if you're a C-sharp developer, you might think of in Hibernate or Entity Framework or maybe in a, a micro ORM like Dapper. These are the ORMs for those specifically for C-sharp developers working with Microsoft SQL Server. Right. So these uh, tools enable binding between your application uh, objects, which are either POCOs, that's plain old C-sharp objects, or POJOs, play, plain old Java objects. I'm just using C-sharp and, and, and Java. But So this provides a relational representation of the data in your relational database. And there is transformation that needs to happen kind of from your database to your application. An ODM is an object document mapper. So it's very similar to an ORM. The name suggests it maps a document to an application object, basically enabling the, uh, a way to define the structure of a document uh, in the form of schemas and models. So even though we are schema flexible in Couchbase, it doesn't really matter how you put the, the information into the database, what the document looks like, your application still has requirements and still has uh, a schema requirements. So right. what this ODM allows you to do is define the, those, the shapes of your document and so that you can basically persist data from your application into the database. And it also allows, this ODM also allows for validation. Validation is probably one of the biggest ones. So when you're putting information into a Couchbase database, we don't have a lot of requirements or ability to check uh, validation very easily. But with the ODM, that's kind of a, a layer in front of the database and in front of the SDK even that allows you to kind of define these shapes of your documents, you know, 
for instance, this certain field needs to be a number, this certain field needs to be a string, this certain field needs to be a phone number, right? When you're, when you're just inserting information into a, a, a Couchbase database or any document database, it doesn't care what those types are for each field. But with an ODM, it allows you to define those things. Okay, so when you say shape of your document, yeah. you, that means that you it, it has certain fields in there. Yeah. So for a hotel, I need a ho hotel name. I need the phone number, potentially an address, maybe a multitude of addresses. And each of those fields, even though the, the database doesn't really care how you put them in, the application says, hey, if I go to try and read this document in the future, and this certain field is not a number, or this certain field is not a string, we're going to have issues. So right. the ODM kind of allows you to, to define that shape and those, those validation features. Mm -hmm. And so, as opposed uh, to a relational mapper, that would be more like line items that the application could refer to that would already be set in there, right? So it, it actually works very, so an ORM and an ODM are, are not really that different. They just have a different letter in the middle to, to uh, specify okay. whether it's relational or document uh, database oriented. Uh, I think with uh, an ORM, is very important because you have to do a lot of transformation of the data to and from the database. That transformation doesn't really happen in an ODM, but it, there's an added feature in the fact that I can now do validation and checking and um, checking of that schema and the shape of that object before it gets inserted into the, uh, into the database. Mm. And then with nickel, uh, you can kind of also adhere to a certain shape when you're pulling it out. Go ahead, Arun. So what I want to add, uh, to what you just said, Eric, uh, one other big difference about an ORM and ODM is that the, the stickiness, I call it the stickiness. What is stickiness? Uh, stickiness here is ORM does a lot of other heavy lifting, uh, which can, can impact your performance. So I come from a, uh, like I said, I, I was a programmer before, I come from a, a development background and like Eric rightly said, or was talking about C Sharp in Java, that's kind of uh, where I come from, right? One other thing is uh, using an ORM, it tracks your database changes. So, so we are talking about two things, right? One is a relational database. And on the other hand, we're talking about the document database and um, relational database equals and document database equals ODM. That's what we are talking here about. When And, and in relational database, uh, you have tables. You have each tables has uh, has a rows and columns. Columns have, have its own, has its own type. That's where it defines its constraints and stuff like that, right? And the ORM basically mimics your your table structures and its relationships and it also does a lot of uh, stickiness like I was, I was describing before it's kind of like tracking the state of each object which which is basically mapping to your table so it is basically tracking it it's also doing this check uh, is, is the relationship uh, the referential integrity is it all intact right it's doing a lot of a lot of other things which could have a performance. When it comes to ODM, it doesn't do all that. ODM is, is basically, it's very lightweight. It says, okay, I'm going to provide you a list of, or set of tools. It's Think of it like a Swiss knife, right? A Swiss knife, you carry Swiss knife, you want to carry a Swiss knife, or you want to carry 15 different tools, large tools in one bag, which one is easy? I would carry a Swiss knife in my pocket, right? And it has other tools and ODM is like that. It, it has uh, a lot of tools which you decide what you want to use. Eric gave you an example. I want to use a validator, for instance. I want to make sure my document, the documents which my, you know, my application object is mapped to. I want to make sure that this document is has the right shape. It has the right, say, phone number is in the right uh, format, 
or social security is in the right format, email is in the right format, right? I decide, I tell ODM, this is what I need. But I, ODM has all of these tools in, in, in a very defined, crafted way that uh, a developer, you know, a, a developer who is a novice or a developer who is seasoned, you know, they need not learn anything new. All they need to know is what's in this goodie, what's in this Swiss knife, what are the different tools? All I need to do is pick this tool for this job, right? And then, then just get going. So it's as simple as that. So, so the, uh, did, did that answer what you were asking, Amy? Yeah, I'm going to put my ODM Swiss pocket <laughs> knife in my pocket. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. One other thing I would add is that, you know, when you're building an API and you're just using the SDK or, or the driver for a database, you have to write all the implementation for how to insert a document, update a document, whatever. And so if I write an endpoint for an API that inserts data, very simple insert. And then Arun writes a, a, an endpoint also for inserting data. We might come up with two different implementations. With Ottoman, two different developers could potentially create an endpoint where they're inserting data and they just call one simple command, an insert command. And under the hood, Ottoman is doing them both pretty much the same way. So I want to go back to my previous question then. If Mongoose is the Ottoman of MongoDB, then how does Ottoman stack up? So Ottoman is a complete rewrite of a previous, uh, well, it was the same library. It was called Ottoman, but it worked with our uh, SDK too. And when I came on board, that tool had not been updated for a while and it didn't work with our, our new SDK. So we decided to rewrite it. And I, I will get to the answer, I promise. <laughs> but we had to rewrite it and we took the opportunity to rewrite this ODM with modern JavaScript and TypeScript. When we got our first client to try out our, our ODM, Ottoman, we realized immediately that they were actually coming from Mongo and Mongoose over to Couchbase. And so, we found out very quickly that there were some features that weren't available to them. Now, we don't ever try to do exactly what Mongoose does. Couchbase is a little bit different of a database. There are some differences that need to be there, but we also need to have some parity with it as well. And we're able to use uh, modern documentation features like JS docs and stuff like that. So maybe maybe it will maybe one day outshine Mongoose. I don't know. But Mongoose is very no. popular and, and we never want to uh, say that, Hey, th th this thing's not good. We're better or something like that. Uh, we're, we're, we're very new, but mm -hmm. we, we are, we are trying to create that very basic parity first and, and then go from there, giving our users the features that they need. So I would say it stacks up pretty well. One thing I wanted to add and emphasize Remember, you're writing JavaScript, it gives you back a nickel query. So that way you're now reverse, you're learning it the other way. You're learning nickel through basically JavaScript, right? So you mm. didn't know nickel, but you are like, I want to find this place, which is say China or Japan or whatever. You are basically generating a query, a nickel query. So isn't that an exciting way to learn instead of you going and learning, explicitly learning a new language, you're actually using Ottoman to learn a nickel query, which, which you absolutely need that, but you're learning it in a different way. The query builder is a fluent API. So you can kind of chain different commands together in order to try and build a query. And then when you're done, it returns the proper 
nickel string back to you. So you're like, oh, I chained these few commands together. Oh, it worked. And by the way, here's the string that it generated for me to query my Couchbase database. So you're, like he said, you're learning nickel as you're using Ottoman as a tool. Is yeah, nickel and, and something that's popular for developers to learn? It's SQL. So nickel is a SQL variant uh, okay. under, underneath the, so if you know ANSI SQL, A-N-S-I SQL, it's kind of like a standardization of SQL. You can actually use that same ANSI SQL with nickel. So uh, again, when we say nickel, if, if you're not familiar with it, just think for the most part, it's SQL, you know, 90% that was with some variations, it is SQL. And if you know that, then you know the majority of nickel. Uh, and, okay. and Amy, nickel is more of a SQL on top of JSON. Remember, JSON is uh, is semi-structure or, or it may not have any structure, right? The JSON mm -hmm. doc, document, like uh, Eric was saying, I want to add uh, per region, I want to add extra fields. You can do that. So your document necessarily doesn't have any set defined structure, but you can now use nickel on top of JSON to, to basically uh, slice and dice the JSON document and get the information out of it. So that's a big, right. big, big plus. Uh, a couple of other things which adding to what you were asking, Amy, is how do, how does it outperform? How does it outstand, right? There are quite a few more things. One is it's built on top of uh, our Node.js SDK, okay? And there are a lot of things that our Node.js SDK gives you in terms of performance, in terms of uh, uh, high availability, like retries and stuff, which you need not worry about. Say you're issuing a command to the database via Ottoman, which under the hood uses Node.js. It does a lot of things like automatic retries. There are failures, network failures. It does automatically, right? You don't even know. So, so that's one other powerful thing which, which comes to you free from because it's built on top of our Node.js SDK. The other couple of things which I want to add is, one is the future of Ottoman is, is amazing. And I think we should talk about it. This is the right time because you asked where we stand, right? The future is mm -hmm. uh, going to be expand Ottoman to not just you know help developers build REST APIs, also build GraphQL, which Eric will be talking to you maybe after I finish. But that's something which we are, we want to not just stick on just with, with Ottoman as an ODM. We want to give it a different meaning. We want to take it to the next level. We use it to, to support GraphQL community. The other thing which uh, um, also uh, stands out, we have something called uh, field-level encryption, a client-side field-level encryption. So, you know, how PII, the PHI data, the, you know, the, the governance around data, all, all you, there is so much worry around is my data secured we are talking about data and end of the day we are talking about data is my data secured right yep. so the the future is uh, which we want to introduce in, in ottoman is i can just say i have my social security here i want to encrypt it. just say encrypt and it's going to encrypt it that's something we want to do going forward so there are a lot of other things which which are outstanding today which will eventually make it more and more outstanding as we mature this product and Eric said, this is, this is, we are, we're getting there, but we have already well thought, what is the future of Ottoman? Yeah. What are the next steps for sure? I, I was going to say one more thing about nickel. Cause you, you'd asked when you're working with nickel, you're working with JSON under the hood. So there are some differences from regular SQL and two of them that come to mind is that one, like he said, we have nested documents and we need a way to be able to, we need keywords like nest and it added to the language. And we also, in a, in a JSON document, you can store an array, which is basically just a, you know, 
a bunch of different items in, in an array. So normal tables don't have that, but to be able to work with an array inside of a SQL statement. So those are some of the things that if you, if you were to go learn nickel, yeah, you know, you know, somewhere between 85 and 90%, I'm just pulling that number out of the air, but there are a few things that you might have to learn. Oh, how do I work with nested documents? How do I work with arrays? And everything that you need to know about those features are kind of inherent if you're coming from a JavaScript background already, or if you're coming uh, from working with arrays or for loops already, it'll just make sense. Right. Okay. Makes sense. So I would love to end with a question for you guys uh, a little bit. Maybe it's a even an icebreaker type of question, even though we're doing it at the end. But what <laughs> do you think that the best programming language in the world is? Do you want me to go first? or Okay. So <laughs> I, I was going to say JavaScript, but I, I think... I think if you're a developer who knows JavaScript already, that TypeScript is actually the thing that if you want to really level up, TypeScript is probably the best programming language going so far. It's created by Anders Heilsberg, who is, I hope I said his name right, is the creator of C Sharp. And okay. if you know C Sharp or you know JavaScript or you know both, TypeScript is like this amazing language that kind of combines the best of typing that you might already know from C-sharp and the best of JavaScript and kind of combines them together. It creates a, a superset of the language. So an interesting thing with TypeScript is that if you have a JavaScript file and you want to make it TypeScript, you just change the JS to a TS, right? .js to TS, and it's already a TypeScript file. Mm. And now you can start adding those little bits of TypeScript in as you want. So the best programming language right now is TypeScript, I think, and it sits, it kind of expands JavaScript. Um, All right. Bold choice. <laughs> bold choice. Arun, yeah. do you agree? Do you have a varying okay. opinion? <laughs> so I, I do I do agree, but I want to stay unbiased. I know, Eric, you, you work predominantly <laughs> very on JavaScript. I'm, yeah. And I, I, want, I want to go back to my team. I want to show my face there too, right? So <laughs> well, I do love. I do love all, all of the SDKs, to be honest. Uh, see, each programming language has its own strengths and, and you know, uh, limitations, right, that we have to agree and accept. Uh, based on the popularity, I do understand and agree that uh, J JavaScript and uh, TypeScript, uh, for, for that matter, is easy to adopt and gel with document-based databases, right? It's, it's very easy. However, it doesn't limit other languages if you have the right tools, if you have the right methods to do certain Past, I think each programming language is great on its own. Gaining in, in terms of popularity, I totally agree. Node.js, TypeScript, they are gaining a lot of popularity, but you know that doesn't does, doesn't necessarily mean that other programming languages are not. It, it's 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 you know it's a give or take. Uh, you know, you know where Arun, you come this from. has what been a very down? diplomatic answer, and I'm not going <laughs> to let you get away with that. I want to know what you think is the best programming language in the world. Yeah, <laughs> say 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 the Pick programming it. language and leave it. <laughs> okay, so Amy is not going to leave. Um, <laughs> okay, since we are sticking to Ottoman, I would I would I would agree with Eric Bashar. I'll not name it though. <laughs> and, and let me add something to that. So, so if you come to Couchbase, right, and, and you want to get acclimated with, with Ottoman, my suggestion is to try out our Node.js SDK. It's JavaScript. 
it is, I believe that one of the easiest ways to get started with Couchbase because there's less barriers and, and, and less of a, an on-ramp to learn Couchbase through some programming language, which is transforming your, you know, your JSON objects into different uh, classes and stuff. With JavaScript, you can just work with JavaScript objects from the client all the way to the server. So if someone wanted to get started with Couchbase, I would say, hey, come check out our Node.js SDK, get started there. Once you build a simple demo and maybe a, 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 a simple demo API, then kind of move over to Ottoman and, and, and check that out. And, and I believe that you will have the lowest amount of friction if you go the JavaScript route. Again, I'm very biased, but that's, the, you know, I wanted to kind of change that answer, not only to my favorite programming language, but also like, hey, if you want to come check out Couchbase, which we would love for you to do, love for you to check out Couchbase, our Node.js SDK or any of our SDKs, but obviously also Ottoman, you know, check out, we're going to have resources and links along with the podcast. Um, so check those out and always reach out to me or Arun. Our DMs are always open and we can help you get started. Cool. So if they do want to start testing and contributing to Ottoman, where can they look? So GitHub has a repository called Node-Ottoman. So they can go there to, to check out how Ottoman is built. And beyond that, if you want to get started with documentation right now, it's v2.ottomanjs.com. Okay. I will put some of these links in the show notes. And Eric, where can our listeners find you? Twitter is the best. However, Twitter, GitHub, and dev.to, my username is HTTP Junkie, J-U-N-K-I-E. And Arun, where can we find you? You can reach out to me via GitHub or LinkedIn. My handle is AV25242. <laughs> or just go and click on it in the description. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate Thank you, it. Amy. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating. You can reach us at Hacker Noon on Twitter and Instagram, and I will see you guys next time.